Well, Lord, we just want to cling to your hope this morning, that only in you do we find hope. We encounter all different kinds of needs and challenges that we experience in the world, whether it are storms in life we face or actual storms, actual things coming against us, and yet in your name, Lord, we overcome them because you give us the strength and peace to endure in the midst of all circumstances. And so, Lord, I just pray that we, you would help us to see how you are with us in the midst of this storm, that there was someone else in the fire with us, that there was a rock upon which we stand that cannot be shaken. We invite you to speak because you do speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Please help us to have eyes to see. Please help us to have ears to hear this morning. In the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, be holy and pleasing to you, Lord. Amen. Like I already mentioned, Psalm 29 is a psalm about a storm. A storm that wrecks havoc over this area of land near Israel. And it led me, it's always led me to think about how unreliable our weather reporting is. <laughs> to be fair, I, I, I've always thought this, always thought this, that, you know, you look at the weather one day and you think, oh, this is what the weather's going to be like and it changes fast. That always is the case. It changes so dramatically. But I've also... Maybe it's something about Alberta weather, but ever since I moved here, I find it very hard to know. Five, one minute, you kind of know what's happening, and five minutes later, it could be something completely different. Rain, snow, sun, windy, it changes like that. And I always wonder, what goes into, you know, why are these projections so off? Why are they so off? You know, it, it seems like a hopeless endeavor that all of our weather reporters are trying to do to try to help us to know what's coming. It seems hopeless. And one of the articles I found this week found, was just very interesting to me, and it was that the impact on meteorologists this past year and a half has been actually kind of challenging. Their ability to, to actually predict the weather has been impacted by the decline in air travel. That all the air travel, you know, went dramatically decreased because no one was traveling anywhere domestically or internationally, and it's because they actually get data from these air, airplane routes. I did not know this, that they actually get data about wind speed, temperature, and that actually becomes part of how meteorologists predict the weather. A quote, uh, this is a meteorologist from the Weather Network, says this, one of the most fundamental parts of weather forecasting is getting the initial state of the atmosphere right. If you can't get the actual state of the atmosphere right, you're just throwing darts. You're just throwing darts. And you can't even begin to guess what will happen unless you already know how things are. It's why weather reports are filled with lots of human mis miscalculations. They're filled with lots of human miscalculations, grasping for data, grasping for answers. And it's why we easily misunderstand what's taking place in the world too. That we are grasping for data, grasping for answers, grasping for knowledge that we don't have of what is happening or who it is behind all this that's leading and guiding the storm. In God, we receive guidance through actual divine actualities, what we, he has done, what he reveals, who he is, how he's controlling everything in the midst of what we're going through. But then the question is, when God speaks to us, whether it's through scripture or in your life, how do we respond? And are we always attentive to what he is saying and speaking? 
That's a key question for this morning. The background and context for the psalm, it would help for me to say at least a little bit about what is taking place in this psalm. Like I said, that this is a psalm about a storm, but it's a psalm of praise. It's a descriptive praise hymn about a terrifying storm that comes out and it goes over this area that we know in modern day Syria and Lebanon. And so what's interesting about this storm is this Israel is called to praise watching the storm or remembering the storm when it happened. And it's not over their land. It's over the people in the lands north of them. And you can picture that. It's the people north of Israel. They're watching this happen. And what's built into this psalm, even though you might not necessarily know it, is that it is challenging all the other ideas about promise, God, and success, and provision. Because all of the gods of the peoples north of Israel have different gods. You might know in Scripture of the god Baal, which is, pops up a number of different times. He is also known as the weather god. That if you find actual ancient art depicting Baal, you would see him riding waves with a spear of lightning and then a club in the other hand for thunder. That he is supposed to be the weather god controlling all these different elements. And so the peoples would worship him asking for peace, mercy, provision through the elements that he mastered. So what's built into this psalm is a challenge. It's actually inviting the gods, the supposed gods of the, of, the, of, of the other peoples around Israel to say, come and see what actual power looks like. Come and see what it actually looks like for, God to contr- for a God to actually control these storms. Because their gods don't actually truly have this power. Only the God of Israel, Yahweh, is sovereign. And he must be worshipped. And so the invitation in this psalm, as we break down the poetry, the flow, the praise, it's a hymn. As we break this down, the invitation is to remember this storm and who God is in this storm. To remember this storm and who God is in this storm. And it has a very clear structure, which is exactly how I will explain this psalm. The first two verses are the call to praise. If you look it up, you can see the structure. The first two verses are a call to praise. Three through nine is the reason for the call to praise, looking at the storm. And then the last two verses are the result of that call, the result of the storm, which is rescue, peace, and strength on earth for God's people. So we're going to go through it in those different sections, and I just want to confirm, are you all with me? Let's step into praise. Let's step into praise and to hear what God has for us this morning. Let me read the first two verses for us again. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Who is he talking to here? You know, the idea is, this is the, these psalms are intended to function as liturgical pieces, ways in which Israel will practice and worship, where they're describing the heavenly beings and the heavenly realms participating in praise. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. You might, depending on your translation, it could refer to something else. It's basically, it's using this term, like the sons of the divine ones, the sons of the strong, the sons of the mighty, which is describing angels, describing angelic beings. Where is this taking place? It's taking place in the heavenly realm, like I already said. But earth is a witness. Earth is a witness. And you can think of like the average everyday Israelite saying this. They're participating. The implied invitation in the psalm is join in with this praise. Join in with this praise. This might be happening in the cosmos of the heavenly realms, but it's also something you're invited to. Can you join in to this praise? 
So just as he calls the angels to praise, he's also calling all the supposed gods of the world, come and see what God is doing, like I already mentioned. And there's four actions in these first two verses, four commands, and it's through this verb, ascribe. I don't really normally use the word ascribe. I don't know if you do. Ascribe in some way means to give credit, to give credit for what has happened and taking place. I think about this in a lot of ways through the wonderful meals that my wife Christy makes for us. For a long time in our marriage, I made a lot of meals. But the great thing is how amazing she's a cook and how she provides for our family and cares for us when it comes to dinner at the table, right? But imagine if we had guests over in our home and imagine if we ate a meal together and I did not give her the credit for creating that meal. Lest I also not acknowledge the fact that she did it with two kids in tow, thought about how it would be a healthy, balanced meal and also be something everyone would enjoy. Imagine if I didn't give her the credit for that. That would not go well. Um, no. I, the, the point in this is this invitation of praise is to actually give credit to what God has done. What God has done in creation. To give him all credit. And it uses this language of glory. And I've explained what I see glory as. Glory is the manifest presence of God. God's beauty, power, and presence being made known to us. And so... That's what they're calling to. To ascribe is to give credit to God. Not that God didn't know what he did, but that we acknowledge it. We affirm it. We confess it. God, this is what you're doing. You deserve this praise because you are who you are. It's a call to everyone who follows God to worship because he's glorious, because he's revealed himself. That's powerful, beautiful, loving. So that's the call to praise. If we heard that in the psalm, the next section is the reason for the call to praise, which we turn to the storm Let me read the first verse of that storm section. The voice of the Lord over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. Now, I need to say something about the voice of the Lord, because if you heard it when that was read in worship, it repeats over again. The voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. It echoes. It actually repeats seven times. And it is this sort of poetic structure in the psalm that's intended for us to understand and go even deeper to what God's saying. To see even more clearly what God's doing. That each time, and this is how poetry works, oftentimes it's trying to reveal and say something through contrast or similarity. And so it's revealing it, trying to take you deeper into it. Do you understand a little bit more? The image for me that helps me understand is, um, is how like, microscopic lenses work. Or I think about when I go to the optometrist and they tell me how blind I am. And I sit there and they just put one little lens over and I can see a little better. Or maybe sometimes foggy, but let's just pretend that I see a little better. And then they put another lens on it, and I see even clearer. So the intention with this psalm is each time the voice of the Lord repeats, each time it repeats, you see it a little more clearly what God is doing. The voice of the Lord thunders. The voice of the Lord is in the waters. The voice is powerful. It's helping us see that God is powerfully in control of nature, and he controls it by his word. It goes all the way back to creation when God speaks and brings creation into being, brings order out of complete chaos, that God is speaking and bringing order in the midst of this, and he's guiding the storm in the same way. What the psalm describes is a storm that begins in the waters, the mighty waters, which is the Mediterranean. It begins in the waters, and it comes aground, and it goes up north, even though Israel can see it in the distance, up into the lands of Lebanon. And God builds this storm to a climax. This is not a small storm. This is a significant storm. 
that wrecks havoc over this land. Let me read verses 4 and 5. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, trees. The Lord breaks its pieces, the cedars of Lebanon. Instead of the storm coming south, because it could have, into Israel's land, it's watching. It's, Israel's watching as it goes north, away from them. It goes north, away from them, all the way to a place called Kadesh. It goes away. And this repetition is helping us understand more and more of how God is in control and speaking and guiding and directing. And even challenging, like I gave you that context, challenging all these false promises and ideas about false gods who are in control. Our promises that don't offer anything. And instead, he directly challenges them. Like the psalm, when you read this, you might miss it, is actually directly challenging the gods of other people's directly challenging, and it's challenging their pride specifically. And I will look at two examples of this. The cedars of Lebanon are the trees of Lebanon. They were the most coveted places. When you were going to build, you're going to build ships, you're going to build a city, you needed, the, you needed to have a good treaty with the people from Lebanon because they had good trees, that those trees allowed you to build the things you wanted to. And then the people from Lebanon understandably have this pride, this self-assurance in the sense of, no, we have, we have good trees, which might seem weird to say, but that's actually kind of important. Trees that actually provide stability. And then also the same thing, it mentions these mountain regions in Siron, in Syria. So Syrian, Syria. And those are just provide protection and support. Imagine you're an enemy nation trying to take over Syria and you have these mountains that prohib- hinder your ability to take over that. And these become sources of pride. And God directly challenges these, not by sending an army, just by speaking and asking a storm to go over this area. And then verses 7 and 8, you get this repetition of voice of the Lord again. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. And as strong, as powerful as the natural resources of these places are, or the natural resources that you have, or we have, or anyone, the strength and blessing comes from God. The land that we have belongs to God alone. The people continue to worship other gods in these areas, other gods. And make no mistake, those gods won't help them when the storm comes. Their false gods reveal don't actually have any real power or authority, only Yahweh, the God of creation, who brought this whole storm into being by his word. So God's brought the storm. He directs the storm. It builds to a climax, and then God calms the storm. Verses 8 and 9. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and all in the temple all cry, glory. The grand finale after the wilderness is shaken up, especially everything in the midst of it. Rest is people all gathered together in the temple. And you can imagine this heavenly temple in the heavenly realm, but also the people gathered for worship in Jerusalem. And it's those people just like us that we watch and behold what God's doing in the world. And we say, glory, God is in control. And it brings holy fear It also brings trepidation, but it brings confidence and praise. And it brings humble and joy-filled confidence and praise because to some, this storm is an outbreak that's of meaningless, hostile power. But to others who've drawn together in praise with God, they see God as directing the storm and demonstrating control over nature. And God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our focus and attention so the last two verses get to how 
perhaps you can think about how would you go about applying this psalm to your life? How would this make sense? What is God in the midst of this storm you find yourselves in after you're looking at a praise psalm about an actual storm? And it's this, it's the result of the storm, which is to trust in God's blessing and peace. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as God forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And so the first verse there, you really easily see it. It's referencing the flood in Genesis. The flood with Noah, that storm flood that flooded the whole earth. And just as God reigns in the heavens, then he also reigns in the heavens in this storm as he reigns in the heavens in our lives today and throughout. And so the waters begin to recede a little bit in Genesis, just as they do in the midst of this storm, where you start to feel the calm. You start to see clearly what's happened the whole way. From nature being in complete uproar to God's people being in peace. Peace in this psalm is almost like a rainbow arch at the very end. A promise of how God will continue to bless his people with strength and peace. As he's demonstrated in the storm, Yahweh provides protection and peace for his people, especially when they need it most. He formed the storm and he'll calm it. And as the storm reams, what the psalm recedes, what the psalm invites us to is to behold the king above the storm. To behold the king above the storm, our resurrected Christ. And you know, you look in the day around the world, many people have different ideas about where hope is going to come from, where strength and peace is going to come from. And the world mocks God. The world mocks Jesus. It's found its comfort in lots of other promises of power, but those will all fail. They will all crumble. <laughs> Only that which it comes from the reigning and rule of Christ, who promises eternal, everlasting peace. And this is the good news, because we believe in Christ. We're following after Christ, asking the hard questions along the way. of How do I give myself over and over and over, more and more and more? That is the life of the believer, that we would be transformed as true worshipers of God. Not as people who worship out of convenience, not because it's easy, but because it's true. Because God actually has brought about all of creation and has invited us to step into it. That we are being transformed by the love of God, filled by the Holy Spirit, in order that we would be united with God. And as his people, we would resolutely proclaim his praise. And in his temple, all cry, glory. It is a level of worship and praise that doesn't happen every Sunday, doesn't happen at any moment, but when we completely dedicate ourselves to God, we find ourselves in his temple crying glory because we truly see what he's doing. So as the floodwaters recede, and there's ways to apply this. You look at the psalm, you look at the story, like what it challenges, you realize that it's not just about nature and creation, but it is always about how we relate to the right rule and reign and authority of God. And that he also truly has cared for us. That he sent his son to reveal his true identity as the Lord of creation, but also the Lord of redemption. And that he cares for each of us intimately and personally. And so then here's a few ways that I've reflected on I think really applies to us in this psalm. One, storms shatter human pride. Anything that you've had pride or I've had pride or anyone else out there have had pride becomes an obstacle our pride becomes the primary obstacle for acknowledging God's right authority on the earth. 
And it, it devastates everything. It devastates our relationship with each other, our relationships with God. We feel completely disconnected. You can look at the condition of people's mind and body and souls when governed by pride and arrogance, and you see the devastation, just like a storm. Storms shatter human pride, and only God, Yahweh, reigns. Only King Jesus reigns over the storm. Whether it's a storm in creation or in nature or something what we experience, the kind of adversity we experience as believers, God is bringing peace to the storm. But it's something that must be witnessed. Not just that God reigns, but God blesses and gives strength and peace to his people. That's how the psalm ends. It's, it's one of the, if you're ever going to look at Pinterest and see the things get quoted from the psalm, you're going to see the last few verses. God enthroned, God reigning over, king forever, God giving strength and peace. The Lord blesses his people with peace. It's not may, it's not might, it is promised. It is given. The God promises to give you strength and peace in the midst of anything you might face this week or the next couple weeks. So what the psalm says is praise him. But the problem is, is it doesn't matter how much I tell you that. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much I tell you that. It doesn't matter how much you've heard it in sermons, how much you listen to it. That promise, that mastery and control of God and creation, it must be witnessed. Which is one of the reasons why I asked people, some people from church and beyond to share some images of the Northern Lights. Because I had never seen the Northern Lights before what happened this past Thanksgiving day. I'd never seen them at all. And I heard about them. Okay, they sound amazing. I've seen them depicted in movies. I've seen incredible pictures of them. And so I asked many of you, share these pictures. Share what it's like. And Christy and I, for the first time on Thanksgiving night, we went out to see them. Thankfully, they came early, not in the middle of the night. After our red alert. And just in complete wonder and glory. It doesn't matter how much someone tells you that God loves you, that, the, that God, Jesus coming, dying for us, and reigning for us is good news. You must witness it to be true. You must witness it to be true. And yes, it, at times it happens like a storm. It brings about fear in anyone's minds. But it also brings about beauty and wonder and praise and humility that this is the God in control. So I'd invite you into that both to think about the pride that could be an obstacle for receiving this. Think about the exclusivity. Is God actually reigning in your life over the storm? Or have you put other things in place there, other promises in place there? And the promise that God will bless his people with strength and peace. I pray that you'd wonder. I pray that you'd witness. Because I can't make up what that means for you. I trust and ask the Spirit to speak to you and invite you into that. And if you feel like you haven't actually seen or experienced God in control of the storm in the way that I believe the gospel promises, ask and seek and you will find. Ask and seek and you will find because he will meet you where you are. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. The voice of the Lord echoes over and over and over again in this psalm. The voice of the Lord, and it is God speaking to us, whether it is God speaking through his revealed word, speaking through the Holy Spirit, actually connecting with you right now. And God speaking, inviting you to trust him with all of what you have. 
inviting you to praise because trusting his voice prepares you for trouble. It prepares you for worship. It prepares you for hard conversations. And just like Jesus calming the storm in Mark and the Gospels, he brings calm and asks the people with him to trust him, to remain faithful to him. And that is where we find ourselves, remaining faithful to God. I'm going to invite the band to prepare to lead us in a response. But one of the things that's very clear to me as we remember storms in our lives, we remember the truth, and we even affirm it in our hearts, is what Paul says when he invites the church in Philippi to worship the Spirit of God and the glory in Jesus. And he says this by saying, remove anything that's in the way of praise which is good. It's a psalm of praise we're worshiping. We should pray into removing anything that would hinder our praise. And this is what he says in Philippians 3. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He also says this, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ this morning? Do you want to be found in him? I want to know Christ, yes, the power of this resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This invitation requires cost, but it is about confessing truth. As devastating as a storm can be, it reveals God who's in control and who specifically knows your story and cares for you and promises to give you peace and strength. So trust him. Trust his voice. Please pray with me. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to use this word and this message, Lord, to guide your people to praise. Lord, storms are scary, they are devastating, they bring chaos and confusion, but that is not you. Instead, through this, you speak clearly, you show love and compassion, you provide protection. And I ask that, Lord, we would receive that comfort, and we would receive also your challenge, that we make life about so many things that it is not real. (laughs) And instead, Lord, we should rightly proclaim your praise, should rightly declare your glory. So, Lord, I just pray you would convict us of the things that hinder our praise week to week, day in, day out, how we fail to acknowledge your right authority in the midst of this, how you care for us, how you love us, and how you are drawing people together. You asked us to be a witness, a community of witness that points to you, the God and the storm. And I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to do that because you are bringing grace and peace to us. And it is by your grace that we can all cry together glory.